Hello, and welcome to this episode of Seasons Eatings. I'm your host, Glenn Warren, and we're going to go exploring the history of your favorite Christmas foods. But first, I want to give a thanks to a couple of people who've inspired me to start this podcast. First is Emily Prokop from The Story Behind. Her podcast explores the stories behind everyday, ordinary things. And secondly, a big thank you to Brian Earle from the Christmas Past podcast. His episodes about the joys of Christmas Past can be found at christmaspast.media. You can find him and other great podcasts such as Can't Wait for Christmas podcast and Christmas Clatter on the Christmas Podcast Network. It's the Christmas season, and you're busy rushing around getting gifts and groceries for your holiday meals. You walk by the grocer's bakery aisle, and you see a log on the shelf. It's decorated with mushrooms, leaves, and maybe even cobwebs. And you think to yourself, that's perfect for my Christmas dinner. Welcome to Seasons Eatings the podcast that uncovers the history behind your favorite Christmas foods. In this episode, we'll look back on the history of the Yule Log, or La Bouche de Noël, and how the tradition of burning a whole tree during the Christmas season has evolved down to eating a delicious cake covered in chocolate. The Yule Log Cake, or La Bouche de Noël for French speakers, is an elaborate creation consisting of a rolled, filled sponge cake, frosted with chocolate buttercream to look like tree bark and festooned with meringue mushrooms, marzipan holly sprigs, spun sugar cobwebs, and any other sort of edible decoration. The history of the Yule Log Cake stretches all the way back to Europe's Iron Age, before the medieval era. Back then, Celtic Brits and Gaelic Europeans would gather to welcome the winter solstice at December's end. People would feast to celebrate the days finally becoming longer, signaling the end of the winter season. The Yule Log sprang from the ancient Celtic tradition of celebrating the winter solstice by locating and retrieving an enormous tree trunk, often with roots still attached, and burning it on the shortest day of the year. The act was a way to celebrate the rebirth of the sun, as well as give thanks for the warmth and life it would bring with it. The Celts believed that certain trees, specifically oak, beech, elm and cherry trees had certain mystical powers. Often they would use a part of the log to make the wedge for a plow as good luck for the next harvest. To cleanse the air of the previous year's events and to usher in the spring, families would burn logs decorated with holly, pine cones or ivy. Wine and salt were also often used to anoint the logs. Once burned, the log's ashes were valuable treasure said to have medicinal benefits and to guard against evil. Some groups claimed the ashes would protect the bearer from lightning, an important quality at a time when houses, and most of the contents in them, were made of wood. With the advent of Christianity, the Yule log tradition continued, albeit on a smaller scale. Families may have burned a log on Christmas Eve, but smaller hearths became the norm, so huge logs were impractical. Those small hearths, however, were perfect for baking cakes. We don't know exactly who made the first Yule log cake, but judging from the individual ingredients, it could have been as early as the 1600s. Marzipan and meringue decorations, two of the most popular choices for Yule logs, appeared on many a medieval table. Sponge cake, which often constitutes the base of the log, 
is one of the oldest cakes still made today. It dates back to at least 1615, when the first known recipe appeared in Gervais Markham's tome, The English Housewife. There are different Bouche de Noël traditions. In Provence, the charred remains of the previous year's bush was relit as a starter for the new log. The family would gather around the hearth and say a prayer. In Brittany, the oldest and youngest members of the family would light the log together and say a prayer to baby Jesus. In Burgundy, they tended to get larger logs than most. While children said their prayers in another room, parents would hide small gifts under the log. When the children were done, they would use sticks to roll the log away and get the gifts underneath. Gifts of nuts, dried fruit, and coins. People would also use the log as a way to predict events in the upcoming year. They would hit the burning log with tongs, and the embers emitted would tell them what the harvest would be like. The more embers, the more corn. The fire was red and predictions were made for the coming year based on the sparks and flames they saw, like how many chickens or calves would be born, marriages in the family, health, wealth, etc. If the fire cast shadows on the wall, there would be a death in the family that year. The custom continued in France and Quebec until the late 19th century. However, hearths eventually got smaller and turned to stoves, and the Yule log became a smaller branch placed in the center of the Christmas table. It was surrounded by friandises, or little sweets and delicacies that were given to guests as treats. There are a couple stories about where the cake originated. One was that the Yule log was supposed to burn the whole evening, a minimum of 12 hours. The log didn't always burn that long, so the cake was invented as a way to stretch it out. There was also the more reasonable suggestion that the cake came into being because houses were no longer being built with fireplaces. So there was nowhere to burn an actual log. So the cake was invented. But the best story has to do with Napoleon I. During his reign, Napoleon realized there was a lot of disease in Paris. His solution was to mandate that all chimneys must remain closed during the winter months because the cold, drafty air was causing all this inconvenient illness. With chimneys closed, there was no way for the air to get in. Now people were in a pickle. They had no way to burn their traditional bouche de Noël. So a Parisian baker got creative and invented the cake as a symbolic alternative for the actual piece of wood. Whatever the reason, the cake does date back to the Victorian era sometime after 1870, suggested by its ingredients and written records. It became the fashion in the 19th century to serve similarly thin rolled sponge cakes with jam or cream filling and covered with buttercream. Around that time, the Parisian middle class had more access to the countryside because of railroads and tourism. In the Victorian era, and especially in France, there was a tendency to romanticize peasant traditions, such as the bouche de Noël. The cake may have been an urban reflection of the provincial Yuletide tradition. The earliest written mention of the bouche de Noël is in Alfred Suzanne's La Cuisine Anglaise et la Patisserie, published in 1894. He says it was a specialty of someone named Ozan, possibly his friend Achille Ozan. However, according to Stéphane Bonnat, her great-grandfather Félix Bonnat, a chocolatier, had a recipe collection from 1884 that included a roll cake made with a chocolate ganache. She doesn't specifically say that it was the very first Bush in Noël, though. 
Now the cake is more popular in Quebec, Belgium and France, although some American families are partaking in this tradition. The cake used is a Genoise sponge cake, or other moist, rich yellow cake. It's baked in a flat jelly roll pan and frosted with some kind of ganache or buttercream. The flat piece of cake is then rolled into a cylinder, covered in chocolate frosting or buttercream, and textured either with a fork, serrated knife, or piping bag to resemble tree bark. Sometimes flat pieces of chocolate are added to the buttercream to resemble broken off pieces of bark. Another way to make the cake is with multiple pieces of genoise. The layers are spread with filling and placed one atop of the other and carved into the shape of a log. Smaller pieces of cake are stuck onto the main roll and covered in icing to represent trim branches. While traditionally the Bouche de Noël is a chocolate genoise filled with a raspberry filling, nowadays the flavor combinations are endless. In recent years, the Bouche de Noël has changed. Decorations and shapes as well as textures have been altered. The flavors have become lighter and fruitier, and the colors have changed. Imagine seeing a bright green Bouche de Noël with seafoam green accents. This is particularly common in Paris, where pastry making is not just an art, it's a fashion industry. Recent examples include the bouche created by the celebrated pastry chef Christophe Michelac at the Hotel Plaza Athenée, modeled after the hotel's cascading staircase. At the tea room Angelina, chef Sebastian Bauer created a bouche that played tribute to another iconic sweet, the macaron by casting a chocolate mold in the shape of three of the cookies lined up in a row. At the restaurant 114 Faubourg, pastry chef Laurent Genin dreamed up of a version in the form of a white chocolate mountain peak. Whatever style cake is eaten, the Bouche de Noël still does one thing. It brings families together on Christmas. They may not be telling their fortunes from flames or spreading ashes in the fields, but they're celebrating their togetherness at Christmas time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Seasons Eatings. Join me, Glenn Warren, again next time as we explore your favorite Christmas foods. All music in this episode has been used under permission of the Creative Commons license. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts so we can spread the Christmas joy. You can contact me, Glenn Warren, about this episode or other suggestions for future episodes at seasonseatingspodcast at gmail.com. All one word, seasonseatingspodcast at gmail.com. You can find Seasons Eatings on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download your favorite Christmas podcasts. If you enjoy Christmas as much as I do, you can find other podcasts on the Christmas Podcast Network. You can find them at christmaspodcastnetwork.com. <laughs>